Welcome to the Oxygen Advantage podcast with your host, Oxygen Advantage founder, Patrick McKeown. With the Oxygen Advantage podcast, we aim to show how functional breathing is an essential part of a healthy and well-balanced lifestyle. Each episode, we meet experts in their field from around the world and talk about their lives, their experiences, and how they learned the importance of breathing. Join us and get inspired. Get the Oxygen Advantage. Thank you so much for tuning in to Scott Carney Investigates. I am so excited to be talking to my friend Patrick McCoon, who is a breathwork master, the author of this book, which you've maybe heard of. It's called The Oxygen Advantage, and another more recent one called The Breathing Cure. Um, he's amazing. He's done the work, and uh, and he's very, very humble which is uh, you know, a refreshing in my line of work. And I just wanted to say thank you for everyone here. And it's going to be an exciting conversation. Um, for those of you who have been following all of the drama with the Wim Hof method and my videos being going up and getting taken down and all of that stuff, um, that's still going on. That's not really what we're gonna focus on here. But if you wanna support great journalism, go check out my Patreon. There's a link down below and uh, you can get the crazy behind the scenes things that are going on right now because it's every day is just a new challenge. Um, so with that out of the way, now we're talking to Patrick McEwen. Patrick, thank you. It's been like several weeks since I've last seen you. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was good to meet in the flesh in that lovely city of Denver. And uh, we had a, a nice salad and a nice walkabout. I didn't get to get the clothes that I wanted, but we had a bit of a tour anyway, Scott, so all good. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really interesting. I am known for like my Wim Hof hyperventilating breath work, and you're known for a very different style of breathing, uh, but I'm sure you're, you're a master of many. Um, could you tell me just a little bit about the Buteyko approach, what it is, and how it differs from, say, uh, the Wim Hof method. Yeah, and I suppose it makes breathing interesting. You know, breathing has got so many facets to it. Um, Dr. Buteyko, he was a Ukrainian medical doctor, and he noticed that sick patients breathed faster and harder, upper chest had irregular breathing. They may feel a shortage of air. A little bit like the people I was working with a while just about an hour ago, people with asthma, people with long COVID, people with different respiratory complaints. And he asked a question, he said, is it their respiratory condition that's causing them to breathe harder and faster? Or is it their harder and faster breathing that's feeding into the respiratory condition? Yeah. Which is so, wagging the dog is the question, right? Yeah, totally. And it was a really interesting observation because people too often are going to suspect this person has a breathing problem because their breathing is poor because of the respiratory complaint without realizing the feedback that's happening there. So he started teaching his patients to, um, to breathe nose as absolutely a foundation to breathe light, to breathe no, um, to be low. And, uh, he found that people were making good progress with their, with their respiratory health. And even about an hour ago, I had a few people, one, two of them had a control pause of six seconds, which is pretty low, meaning that... Uh, what's, a what's a control pause? So a control pause is you take a normal breath in and out through your nose and you pinch your nose and hold your nose and you time it in seconds until you feel the first definite desire to breathe. Mm. In other words, the length of time that they could hold their breath for comfortably was six seconds. Now, that will oh, correlate wow. with pretty mm. poor breathing patterns. That person, sure. those two individuals will be overly breathless during exercise 
They will feel uncomfortable with their breathing. They will feel air hunger. And this is the thing about breathing, Scott. There's a huge variance. If you walk into a room, um, there's a huge variance between the breathing of one person and the breathing of another person and everybody in between. And that's where breathing and when we're teaching breathing exercises, and that's always something I I think there have been two pillars that I think is really, really important. One is the science because forget about it. Otherwise it's just opinion and it's really going to pop people off. Mm, And the second is tailoring exercise according to the individual. So, um, I, we're definitely going to get right into that very soon, but I, I had another question. So in, in my book, The Wedge, you know, I talk about mm. nasal breathing quite a bit. I'm not, I, uh, nasal breathing is not the, the thing that I generally do, although I do try to like consciously close my mouth throughout the day since reading all of this literature. Um, there was a guy named George Catlin, who I'm sure you're aware mm. of, um, who wrote a book, Close Your Ma- I think it was called Close Your Mouth and Save Your Life um, in the like mid 1800s. Um, is that sort of the same tradition that Buteyko stemmed from, or are they totally separate? Like how, or is you know, everything has roots, right? Every, you mm-hmm. know, Wim Hof comes from, from Pranayama and these other things. How much is the Buteyko method entirely original and how much is it an iteration of other things? I think the Buteyko method, it didn't stem from George Caitlin's work. That, that book was called Shut Your Mouth and Save Your Life. We have to consider that Buteyko worked under USSR. It was a communist society there was very little freedom of information but he did have some access oh first of all a lot of really tremendous and brilliant scientists originated out of the ussr um and i don't think he was any different you know and he's interesting for example to see cia have files on him um because they suspected him of and I can't remember what the name is, but you'll actually find that the documents of remote viewing and um, the suspected he was to that. So he kind of was, he was known and he was known even for breathing in, in USSR as well. I remember when I was there in 2002, I got lost and I had no idea of Russian and I have no idea to, to say to a taxi driver, but all I could say to the taxi driver was Buteco and he was able to bring me to the place. And I had no directions, no address, no nothing. So I knew then that people kind of knew where he was based. Um, so coming back to, I think he did take a lot of the origins from yoga. and But he would have medicalized them based on the, the, the science that he knew at that time. And so he was also involved in this remote viewing research, which was you know quite popular in Russia at the time, and maybe other sort of esoteric topics as well. Possibly. We didn't have any hearing of it. The only thing that the only reason that I knew the in terms of the CIA was because that came out. That was only about five or six years ago. When I was there, there was absolutely no discussion. I thought it might have been interesting to talk about it, but there was no discussion about it. It was simply breathing techniques. And I was shadowing um, the people there as patients were coming in. So I was shadowing the doctors and the instructors that were working with patients. Um, so that's what I was doing for the, you know, for the time I was there. Uh, thank you for that background there. I mean, I knew some of this stuff, but um, the remote viewing is great. That sounds like another episode of investigation um, to happen <laughs> there. Um, so the, what, the th- one of the things that we're talking about, and just to sort of like, you know, call the, you know, the context of how this conversation started. Uh, and I know that you're not going to go into too much about the whole Wim Hof gate that, that, that I'm involved in. But, you know, there is this question about... 
um, safety and breathing protocols and like, are people doing things right? And, and one of the cruxes that I was, have been looking at is, is obviously Wim Hof. There's a, a fair amount of video footage and instructions that he's given that, you know, where you hyperventilate and water, you hold your breath and which, which proves to be uh, a very efficient way to drown. Uh, and, you know, even though there's warnings on his website, which are absolutely there, um, there's a disconnect between uh, the, 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 the message that, that he knows he should be telling and the message and, and maybe where, I don't know, maybe his ego is pushing him in, in another direction. Um, so that's one very dangerous thing that's obviously happening. And, but there's other things sort of in the periphery of of all breath work right it's not just wim hof but it's all of these different breath work gurus who are out there they wear their robes they go sleep with their students they have people have ecstatic experiences and and you know and you know i'm now getting messages about people having strokes doing versions of the wim hof method or cardiac events so what are the things that we need to be aware of in this breath work community to be safe uh in, in going forward and, and and not be um taken up in the gusto of the moment i think breathing is very powerful i think the instructors who work face to face with individuals over many years will realize that but if you're an instructor just putting your information out to a group of people and you're not getting the feedback from that group of people, if you're putting your information out to 40, 50 people, you're not getting that one-to-one -one feedback. And if you're, especially if you're not working with them over a number of weeks, I've made mistakes with breathing. I think every breathing instructor has made mistakes with breathing, you know, and we, we would be teaching, okay, we teach light breathing, we teach breath holding, but we don't do the hyperventilation as part of the Buteco method. Um, it's We're looking to address chronic hyperventilation. But I'll give you a few examples. We have a nose unblocking exercise. Breathe in through your nose and out through your nose, pinch your nose, hold your nose, and hold your breath to a moderate strong air hunger. It's nothing extreme about it. I put a person into a panic attack and that person admitted them to themselves to accidents and emergency as a result of it. I had people oh, wow. do breathe light exercises, softening and slowing down breathing, people with anxiety and panic disorder, deliberately generating a sensation of air hunger, which would signify that carbon dioxide is accumulated in the blood. And we purposely do this to reduce the chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide. In other words, to improve the person's everyday breathing pattern. However, mm -hmm. the feeling of air hunger can be too much because for a normal person, it may be uncomfortable. But for somebody who's prone to panic and anxiety, they can have an exaggerated fear response to the feeling right. of suffocation. Right. And we've seen that quite a bit in the in, in the Wim Hof um, uh, community, right? Because the Wim Hof is like, here's the way I like to like boil it down in like an uber simple way, right? Buteco is mostly parasympathetic and working on parasympathetic pathways and primarily, right? Well, and we then... do the long breath holds too, which would be sympathetic, but I think it has to be controlled, Scott. And this is the thing. There are people mm. that you stress and there's people that you don't stress. And also, wow. here's the real question. At what point does a good stress become a bad stress? You know, right. like it, it's it's really, really important. And um, like sometimes I find it amazing that in traditions in breathing, that oftentimes the personality of the individual who's teaching it will trickle down. And, you know, it's like you have to really bear this in mind, like what's the motive of the individual that's teaching it, the breathing instructor? I feel that no right. breathing, no 
instructors should be teaching breathing without understanding the physiology of breathing, without understanding yes. breathing from a multidimensional point of view, without understanding everyday breathing patterns, without understanding the benefit of nose breathing versus mouth breathing, and without understanding down regulation versus up regulation, activating the mm-hmm. parasympathetic response or improving symp- parasympathetic drive, and when to activate the sympathetic response, increase sympathetic drive. I think it's the foundations of what we're doing as breathing instructors. And I'm going to say this, the reason that I jumped on the call with you is our livelihoods, my livelihood depends on breathing. We have, I would say we've met resistance over the years in terms of getting breathing out to the general population. And there's something Mm -hmm. tremendous in this. But if we have instructors out there, regardless of the disciplines that they are coming, and if they're pushing the boundaries to the extreme, if they're saying stuff that's not correct, that's not that's going to impact yeah. all of us because we will be put in this yeah. box over here. Right. I want to get breathing well, out to the people, you know. It's it's funny. It's like if you have a sensational breathing, something that gives you a big experience, right? It's going to be something that people are attracted to because we like, you know, if you think about like the sine wave of experiences, we like the bigger waves, not the little waves. And and this is why nasal breathing is less popular than Wim Hof breathing. And and in general, things that give you like intense psychological changes immediately, those aren't just aren't as sexy because people want to go in and they want to change immediately. But what I'm hearing you say, and, and frankly, I think you're right. It's really about the the practice over time and watching and the development and the care and the maintenance of of uh these breathing protocols and it's good. It has to be very individualized and not one size fits all. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I would say what we do is often considered to be an introverted technique. You know, if you mm-hmm. look at extroverts and introverts, there's a huge role for introverts in the world. We're often deep thinkers. We love mm-hmm. our own space. We, we don't put ourselves out onto the, onto the parapet, but we, we are also risk averse and that's good. You know, because the mm-hmm. extrovert, if you read, for example, Susan McCain's great book, They're Quiet, you know, the person who is more the extro- extrovert, they love the company, they love the limelight, they love the attention, they love the big thing. Now, but I, like, I'll give you a power of this, of where light and slow breathing can be used in everyday life. I had a pretty challenging situation about two months ago and a lot of television cameras around and I'm putting it into a room and I am interviewed pretty toughly by five people that goes on for about an hour and a half. Oh, fine. Now, before, <laughs> before I went in, they left me standing outside the door of the room for seven minutes. And as I was standing there, now, before that, I was waiting six hours. Okay. Mm. So this is all about the psychology. Now, as sure. I was standing there waiting for the door to open, I could feel my heart rate getting faster. And I just stood there. And one of the people who were on the other team or the team around me said, take a deep breath. And I says, no, I'm not taking a deep breath. Ah. And I start taking this soft breath in through my nose and a really relaxed and slow, gentle breath out. Nobody was even knowing I'm doing it. I'm just standing there. There's nothing to see. But at the same time, sure. I'm able to bring down my heart rate. I am able to put this critical mind aside. I am walking into that room in a flow state. I'm walking in whereby... I feel really comfortable in a challenging situation. And I would never yeah. have been able to do that before. Like that's what a, a tool what, that's what an amazing, everybody should know. 
Hmm? What an amazing piece of advice. Cause like the, the, the standard, right? The, 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 what everyone says is take a deep breath. Okay. You know, just yes. focus on your breathing, take a deep breath, which is of course going to initiate a sympathetic, like at the very beginning, that's a sympathetic move, right? <laughs> like you do that cause you're getting prepared for something. And, and what you did is you went down instead of going up and that, mm. that, that worked for you. And the, on the it flip side, for everybody. well, may, no, it won't. You're, what you it just will, said before, Once you have that really slow and relaxed exhalation. Okay. If you're feeling air hunger, what you could do is take a fuller breath to get rid of carbon dioxide to alleviate air hunger. But really what we want to be doing is tapping into the speed of the exhalation. And the thing is, don't wait until the challenging situation, bring it into your right. way of life that you're able yes. to tap into it like that. Yes, uh, absolutely. Like, cause these things, you know, you can do, there are things you can do in the moment of a stressful situation, of course, but it's really about the practice that comes in and toning your nervous system in general. And for me, this focusing on sensations is really part of it. Like I understand the physiology too. I would say an advanced, but maybe not an expert level. Like I'm pretty good, but like, there's some stuff that I don't know. Um, but I'm aware of where my limits are, which is important. Um, and, uh, but I feel like when you, once you start understanding how your sensations affect your mental state, uh, then you, that's when you start being able to have tools because I, I personally do respond very well to sort of the, that sort of more faster paced stuff, but I also understand how to regulate myself down. And I think getting into breath work from whatever pathway you get into it, and then you, you deepen your practice that's when you start to realize that all these tools connect in a way that doesn't need even a name associated with it. It doesn't mean, oh, you're doing pranayama. Oh, you're doing qigong. Oh, you're doing Wim Hof. You're doing buteko. Like, like that stuff all like vanishes at some point because you're like, no, I'm breathing. And we've been doing this as a species for 300,000 years. Uh, more, actually, no, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a life form is 3 billion years, right? So Here's the, the next question, and you raised this earlier, and I want to circle back to it, is you said there's some people, um, you know, are not suited for this. And how do you know? How do you, are you able to identify when somebody is going to have a negative reaction with one type of breathing technique or another? What's your, what does the assessment look, at, look like from both the customer, like the person who's coming in to this, and then from the, the teacher's perspective? The answer is you don't. Um, oh, man. You, you, get a, you get a client history and basically on the form intake, you're asking, do you have panic attacks? Do you have anxiety? Do you have, what's your history in terms of that? Once I get an idea of their overall kind of general health, if I think that that person, once they say panic disorder, anxiety, I start off very gentle. I measure their control pause. I observe their breathing pattern and I'll start off with the gentlest of the exercises. And I will deliberately say, I said, listen, I'm going to dip your toe into the water here because I'm not sure how your body is going to react to these exercises. Mm -hmm. And if I push you a little bit too hard and too fast, it could have the opposite reaction to what we want. And you were talking about you're sensitive to what's going on in your body, but not everybody is that way. Right. So right. what I want to do is when I'm working with somebody, I want to do the best that I can is in order to make them feel safe. And yes, we do challenge people, but we want to start off with even small little breath holes so the anxiety class that I'm working with is always much different from the person with asthma. person with asthma, I can push them. I can have them do long breath holds. I can shake the autonomic nervous system, do light breathing, do maximum pause, do light breathing, maximum pause. 
person with anxiety, I can't. I have to dip them into the water. With some people with anxiety, even the mere act of paying attention to their breathing can bring on anxiety. So the thing about breathing, Scott, is every time that a person, say, with anxiety or mental health issues, every time that they have an issue in the past, it's often been associated with a problem with their breathing. Mm-hmm. Now we are directly interfering with their breathing. Could we then be bringing up the same issues that the body is conditioned? So if I put them into an air hunger, that's not air hunger for them. That's suffocation. And they have an exaggerated fear towards suffocation. They think they are going to die. And I have seen it happen with people who are prone to anxiety you, and panic disorder. You've seen people die? You've seen people die? Never. No, you, you, you've seen wood. people have a you, you've seen you've seen a, you've seen like a panic attack. Start. Exactly, and they feel, and that's you know because like it took me a while. I touch wood. I don't have anxiety and panic disorder. I would have had racing mind, but I like if I do exercise and they feel air. I feel air hunger. It's uncomfortable. But if they do exercises and they feel air hunger, they've been a totally different reaction. And that's a fear right. response. And that's they feel that they are going to die in some instances. And um, so we just have to be careful, you know, and you don't know by somebody until you start w- with them. But the thing about it, about it is, if you go very gently, you can gently increase it. And what I say to people is, listen, we'll do this for a few seconds. How are you feeling about it? Do you want to go a little bit more? Yeah, we we'll go a little bit more. If you don't want to go more, we we'll just keep you as you are. Yeah. This way, then the person yeah, is going to. It's a very. You know, it's a very different philosophy from from uh, this other method that I that I, I do right. The other so the Wim Hof method is we um, you put someone in that intense stimulus right very quickly and then you you have them um, regulate their nervous system because the environment is forcing uh, certain physiological reactions on it. And you're right. Some people like levitate out of ice water basically and just run away. And when, when, when I'm teaching someone an ice bath, I always say, look, you have to, like, I, I prep them with this idea, right? Which if you're going to do this and, and you, you can't force someone to do it, you have, they have to be called. They have to want to do it because you, you can't force someone to an ice bath. It's going to get you bad um, outcomes every time. But if you do do it, then I say, you have to be able to stay in there uh, at least a minute. And the reason I say that is because by a minute, you are going to have been relaxed because if you get out and you levitate out of that water in five seconds, because everyone wants to, because that's what the sensation is telling you. If you, if you, if you get out immediately, you're locking in that anxiety and you're going to actually have the reverse of what you want. And I've made some errors in the past where I, you know, and you know, with, for instance, uh, I took a sick I took my father uh, onto some Wim Hof um, breath work uh, when he was ill and he like had an immediate panic attack. And I was like, I, you know, I recognized what was happening. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, we're not doing this anymore. Like for real. But um, I mean, it wasn't like a full blown panic attack, but like yeah, his nervous course. system yeah, yeah. Was, wasn't, wasn't ready for it. Stress. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it is very important to be able to watch. So can I come like, full circle here? Who, sure. who are the typical people that go and do ice baths and hyperventilation? What's your typical cohort? Yeah, well, I mean, it's super interesting because when this was all starting, it was like buff dudes, right? Like mm. buff dudes, super achievers, they all wanted to do it. But what I'm seeing now is actually we're getting more women involved in this. We're getting more um, 
you know, people who are health conscious, you know, they, they have an autoimmune illness or they have some other reason driving um, them to it. And those people I find actually a lot more engaging to work with because they're more attentive to an outcome versus a flashy yes. post on Instagram, right? Like yeah. it's like the thing, like when you're trying to push your, your limits, you know, and like, oh, I'm pushing my limits and I'm super buff and I'm super tough. Like that stuff like drives me nuts because I hate the machismo. I hate this, this feeling of like, I am the, the, I am the Superman. Like, look what yeah, I can yeah. do. Like, it, like, it, it's so externalized that, that, you know, when you, when you were just saying that you were about to go in the room and no one could see what you were doing, but you were doing a technique. It was all internal. And you, you were, you had this like cool interaction with your nervous system, but on Instagram, it would look lame, man. Mm -hmm. it, it just wouldn't play. And, and I feel like this is a problem in, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's now like extrapolating outside of my situation with the Hoffs, right? Like, but like, let's look at talk, look at like all breath work, right? And look at some Instagram of somebody who is doing some version of, let's say, holotropic, and they're mm -hmm. getting people crying. They're all wearing robes, and the, all the women are sexy, and all the men are buff. And, and, and what are we, what message are we really sending here when we do that? Mm. Well, I suppose, do we really know what's going on when somebody does hyperventilation, especially for a period of time? And the only issue then that I would ask is that I don't think everybody is suited to doing hyperventilation, especially now one could argue if, if somebody has dysfunctional breathing that they one may say, one person might say they're better off doing hyperventilation. Personally, I feel they're not. I would be much more comfortable working with their dysfunctional breathing and improving their everyday breathing patterns. I think there is a role for distress or exercise, but let's get the foundation right. And I think it's the message. You know, if I portray hyperventilation as this exercise to improve oxygen and delivery throughout the body, could I be planting a message in that person's head that it's good to be breathing like this all the time, that if they then start breathing more regularly like this during the day, well, that's going to be putting them into more of a stress response. It's also increasing the chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide. And, you know, you will affect the baroreflex, you'll affect the autonomic nervous system, you'll affect their degree of breathlessness. And over time, like, I had a conversation with an instructor this morning, Anna, um, she's from Poland. And when we were doing a training in, in Poland via Zoom, one of the guys there, he told us that he was doing a particular breathing technique and he got arrhythmias as a result of it. And the, he's arrhythmia heart arrhythmia so so he got it as a as a result of as a result of hyperventilation and stressor breathing exercises now here's a guy who is fit and is in, in his 30s i wouldn't have heard about it only for he told us while he was doing the instructor training with us now we don't do the hyperventilation but he had this was something that he had experienced months before so his whole practice then is breathing light and down regulating so I think, Scott, many breathing exercises can offer, breathing exercises can offer many things. The thing is, how do you know which one is for you based on your breathing, your health and your age? Like, again, I've seen emails coming in, 74-year-old man, heart condition, doing hyperventilation. I send him an email back that says, I don't think it's a good idea because if you're hyperventilating, it is reducing blood flow and oxygen delivery to the heart and it can affect the heart muscle, you know? So 
this is the conversation that we need. And like, how about the day that every breathing instructor, regardless of the tradition that they are in, that they have a basic understanding of the physiology, because ultimately breathing can be broken down into a few things. What does it do to the biochemistry dimension of breathing? Does it cause an increase of carbon dioxide or a dropping of carbon dioxide and result in changes in blood pH? What's it doing to the biomechanics of breathing in terms of breathing with good recruitment and good function and strength of the diaphragm? What's it doing to the autonomic nervous system? Now, I can't think of any other pillars, and I might be wrong, but any breathing technique that we are doing, regardless of what the tradition is, we have to ask, what's it doing to those three pillars? Yeah. And if it's well, a stressor, a, when to do I would it say there's and a, when not there, to do it. There is a fourth pillar, um, which yes. is, is this this sensation and the mindset component of that is that you have these physiological changes that, that, are, that are absolutely critical. We have the, the mechanics of the body, mm. but we also have the, you know, we, we don't only have reception, we also have perception, right? We have the, the way we assign a, what the valence of what that is. And that's really the crux of my book, the wedge. And that's why, I do really like these intense experiences because when you are in an intense experience, you reassign it a, a different meaning. So you, when, when you're in the ice bath, for instance, you assign it the sensation of joy or relaxation. And you, and, and so you're still having that, that, that signal coming in, but then you're intercepting that signal and changing it. But certainly that's not going to be for everyone. Right. That's not. And, and like you need to be you need to go through steps to be sure that this is what that person it should do. And you need to have some sort of safety mechanisms in place, you know, an idea for how to how to deal with somebody who is does get into some element of trouble. Um, that's that's so all. Because I think the ice bats are really interesting because. I suppose there could be two reactions in an ice pad. One is you panic and you hyperventilate and you want to get the hell out of it. The other is you surrender to the discomfort and you're training your brain not to react to stress. And I think it's a really important tool. Brett Holling will do it as well. Like if you have somebody breathe in, breathe out and hold their nose and run up and down holding their breath. Oh, they're, they're, point, they're, they're, they do not feel good. That's called, yeah, we call <laughs> that, um, uh, Brian McKenzie um, t- taught me that and he called it, um, Dry land swimming, I think, uh, was his was his was his word for that. Well, you know that technique. In terms of, we've been using it for about twenty one years, and we've used it with young children from five years of age upwards. Mm-hmm. It it is a brilliant exercise once you do it selectively. But yes. in terms of the whole body connection between the the top down communication and the bottom up communication. If you do a long breath hold, you are going into a challenging situation, both physically, but also mentally, the air hunger, you surrender Mm -hmm. to it. You're training your brain not to react to difficult situations. And I feel sometimes the ice pots are doing that, that maybe it doesn't get talked enough in terms of the psychological resilience as a result of experiencing discomfort. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, these, all these things are tools. Mm. And, and, and the tools don't have a, 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 like a good, bad valence to them, right? They're, they're things that can be used and they can be powerful and, and you should be able to play with them, you know, at your own pace, but, but they're, but they're not good or bad. It's not like Wim Hof is bad or, and Buteco mm. is good. Like, that's not the message that no, I ever no. want to, to put out. No, what it really is, is like, 
Yeah. It's like, it's like you have to go out there and you have to figure out what's right and, and, and listen to yourself and an educated teacher. Uh, and you know, if people have seen my recent work, I would say that Wim Hof is the worst Wim Hof method uh, um, instructor out there. Like he teaches things that are not related to the physiology that are invented science. And occasionally the recipe for um, really bad damaging effects. Uh, and, and, but I will also say that most of the Wim Hof method instructors I've met just about every single one. I can't even think of an example of a Wim Hof method instructor who, who, uh, who makes this error. Like all of them understand the, the basic health protocols. All of them deal with students constantly and they're not pushing people's limits to dangerous elements. But instead, it's, it's sort of this idea that people see an image on Instagram or maybe Wim Hof, they take sort of, they go to one of these peak experience retreats with Hoff or with another, um, you know, like a, like a instructor at, one of these berobed breathwork groups, which I will not mention by name just now because I have enough fights going on. Um, uh, that it's that seeking sort of an external image that puts people into trouble because they get an idea that these techniques are not, um, they're not really internal techniques. They're more performative and they're competitive and uh, and it's about always improving when in reality, we don't always improve. Sometimes we go put down and, and that's natural. Like some, like I know that for instance, when I do a Wim Hof breath hold, I used to be able to hold for three minutes. Now I hold for like one or one and a half and, and I don't stress out about it. I'm like, cool, whatever, like mm. not a big deal because my physiology is changing all the time. And some days I'm just not good at it. And maybe I'll never be at that level again. And maybe that level wasn't even good in the first place. But this yeah. is the question, you know, like if we're doing a long breath hold and say we're monitoring our blood oxygen saturation and once your blood oxygen saturation drops below 88%, you're going into severe hypoxia. That's if you're at 85%, that's severe. Yeah. Do you really need to go to 70% where you get disoriented or 60% and 50% where you pass out? I don't want anybody ever passing out and touch wood. Yeah. You yeah. know, so like, why does the body pass out? The body is passing out because there's something critical happen. So should we be right. pushing people <laughs> in a breathing technique? There's a reason why that is a, as a survival mechanism. So that's true. You know, we, we really do have to kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes I'm thinking with breathing that the extroverted breathing techniques are seen as normal, but they are so far from normal. If you, if you look at it from the lens, number one is of safety. And uh, uh, number two, in terms of the data, in terms of dropping your blood oxygen saturation, if you're at the top of Mount Everest, what does your blood oxygen saturation drop to? I've looked at some charts and it showed 50%. So, you know, we, we as human beings throughout our evolution have never experienced that drop to oxygen unless we had severe obstructive sleep apnea. And then we have to look at if one has obstructive sleep apnea, what effect is that having on the brain over time? What happens to the brain when your blood oxygen saturation is dropping down to 50%, 40%, or 30%? And I've seen at medical conferences, guys, doctors putting up scans of brains, showing brain damage as a result of the, this hypoxic. Sure, yeah, now, obviously. Then, but, but then why are we seeing it so commonplace? And, you know, even I would ask in free diving, is there, I'm, I'm talking about the extremes here. I know there's a, that's why I asked you the cohort of individuals who are doing it, you know, yeah. 
we, we should be thinking about breathing as being accessible for everybody. It's not just something for right. the, 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 you know, the, the, the really alpha individual, young person, fit person, healthy person, performance person, but we should be looking at the bigger picture and making it accessible. Yeah, I mean, it's so fascinating. I'm really, li- I'm really enjoying this conversation. Um, and, and I think it has a lot to do, you know, the extroversion is so attractive, right? Mm. And it's so much easier to sell a course based on superpowers or superheroes or like the top performers of all, you know, like let's get all the top athletes in the room and see what they do together to get to become a top athlete. And the thing is, I'm sorry, but you, my dear listener, are not a top athlete. You, my dear listener, are never going to become a top athlete because you are not uh, Michael Jordan. You are not uh, David Beckham, you are not Laird Hamilton, you are not one of those people, and you will never be. So when 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 you analyze these top performers and, and make them idols, you're making a severe error. I mean, sure, you can learn some stuff from them and you could admire things, but you're not spending eight hours a day training plus fantastic genetics to get there. Um, instead, plus a why team don't you of people some- around you. And you're doing nothing else but focusing on on your your goals, mm-hmm. which is good, right? Yeah, it's great. And and you know, if you were going to become a top athlete, absolutely follow that protocol. Like like absolutely get your lessons from Michael Jordan if you want to be a great basketball player. I see no problem with that. But the the when we talk about movements, right? When we talk about millions of people coming into a practice, we need to have our goals fit for that movement. Uh, and, and then it's also so easy to lie on the internet about what's actually going on. It's so easy to like create a clown type figure, whether it's sort of the, the Wim Hof, I climbed a mountain, I climbed Mount Everest in my shorts and got frostbite, right? Don't talk about the frostbite, talk about the climbing Everest in shorts. I have these long distance swimming records under ice. Don't tell people that I blacked out the first time and almost died. Like the, it, it's like you 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 make these clips that become very seductive because it tells essentially it tells your listeners that you can do this too, and not only that, but you should be like this. And uh, and that's not the message I've ever gotten from any looking at any of your books and a lot and like the vast majority of very responsible people out there but they're but on the Most other of us side wouldn't sleep at night scott yeah no of that's course not. the reality but, of it you know but on the other hand and i hate to say this to you because i don't want to say this to you but you're not nearly as famous as those guys right like, yeah but that's and fine girls. i'm happy out i'm in a cottage here <laughs> in the west coast of ireland i'm happy out so i am <laughs> i've got three dogs four cats and four hens to keep me company so it's all good <laughs> But you, but you see what I mean? It's like, it's like the people who do the good work, the people who, who, who try to be responsible are not the ones that ultimately spread in the environment that we live in. Now, they might have the best longevity. That's to be seen, right? But, but the way that we humans are wired to like something is we want the exceptional. Uh, but I think it's only in the meet. Western world. You know, I spoke with an Maybe. MMA fighter. And he mm. was talking about different traditions. He was talking about a fighter or a warrior from the East versus a fighter or a warrior from the West. Sure. The warrior from the West is very much the extrovert, you know, the, the loud mouth, the talker, you know, mm-hmm. the, 
playing the psychological games, whereas the the the, ex, the introverted or warrior from the east is very inward, noble silence, mind body connection, very spiritual. And I think there's something that we should be bridging that west and east divide. And breathing definitely comes in there. But in terms of spirituality, for for me, spirituality is the stillness to which the mind can the degree to which the mind can be free from thought, that the, the stillness that we can bring to the mind, that we can connect with everything around us, there's nothing extroverted about that. You know, no. when the mind is in stillness, that's very much for me an introverted. When you're in flow states with your attention brought, okay, during a football match, it could be different. But even just sitting in a moment of absolute solitude, just sitting there, with your attention dispersed throughout the body, out of your mind and onto the breath or to a different part of the brain. There's nothing extroverted about that, but it's right. a tremendous tool. And the West, yeah. we could learn from that. Look, at mm -hmm. we have to ask this. If we were doing things right in the West, why is our anxiety levels up to the roof? Mm. Well, I want to I, I want to push back just a little bit on the East West distinction because um, mm. I don't think that is actually accurate. Because we, you know, okay. I, I did this podcast called "The Monk Who Fucked Everything: A Brief Past History of Print Capital <laughs> to Modern America," and it's a blast of a podcast. And it's it's really about we have a fantasy about what the East is like, and we have, and they have a fantasy of what the West is like. And I can tell you, the, the there there's some fucked up things that happen over in the East, right? There are genocides, there are murders. There were times when Tibetan monks were massacring the Tibetan monks in the next monastery over. It's it's not that distinction. That's Orientalist in my mind. And it's it's a very easy um, mm -hmm. uh, dichotomy to, to just sort of slip into. But I think what you're actually saying is that there's really these two maybe there's, there's these two sort of ideals of how to interact in the world, right? You can be solid in yourself and inward looking. And there's a lot of people in the West who are like that, right? There are mm, a ton mm, of Westerners who are like that. Uh, and, and, and then there is this sort of more flashy thing. And, you know, there's, there's a, I don't know, there's this YouTube channel called Lindy Beige. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's, he's, a, he's like a wonky English guy talking about warfare around the world. But he was interviewing a Ukrainian soldier recently um, who was on the front lines uh, doing, you know, and, and this war is happening. And there's a lot of um, American special, ex-special forces who come over and join the and join the war effort and and these these special forces you know they were navy seals they're army rangers they go in they have their helicopters their big guns and they just decimate anything they 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 meet and, and when they're with the american army but those guys who went to the ukraine front all washed out very quickly because the actual war is hanging out in trenches all day and it's not fun and it's not glamorous. It's not, you're all the best American sniper in the world. No, it's like you sit here and you hide from artillery fire all day. That's what a soldier does. And once, once every three months, you pop your head up and fire a couple rounds. Like that is what warfare is and not what our imagination and, 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 you know, American military has such a vast superior firepower that their experience of war has always been adrenaline and they got really good at adrenaline, but they didn't get good at modern warfare. But you're, that's it's more tangent. glamour though, isn't it? <laughs> like it, it's the glamorization or the glamour aspect of it versus the reality of it. Yeah, absolutely. So we in the West are very much prone. We, we want, it's the glamour. It's the Instagram. Mm -hmm. 
we want the he- everyone wants to be a hero and no one wants to be in the trenches right no one wants to do what the actual war is won not with some flashy lightning raid in in in, mm-hmm. in you don't it's not everyone's taking out Osama bin Laden every minute right it's usually a lot of mucking around, not glamorous, not fun. It's the chopping wood and carrying water aspect of things. And, and we don't want to get good at that. Like we don't, we don't want to learn to breathe through our nose because that's, we don't want to slow down. Who wants to slow down? I want to go to the best rave concert ever and have lots of sex and do lots of drugs because that's fun. And, and, and we're seeing these same sort of dichotomy that exists in the breathwork community. Um, and it's not the best, it, it exists in all communities, but it, when we're talking about breathwork, the problems are that it can lead to, as you say, dangerous outcomes. You know, lately I've been getting a lot of messages from people who've had heart attacks, who've had strokes um, and, and, and these sort of like really intense events because they were pushing themselves, because they went so far. Well, it's like this, chronic hyperventilation has been around since the American Civil War. It was first called the Costa Syndrome. So here is a situation of soldiers during the American Civil War. They've got extreme stress. And Mm. when they come out from the front line and back into civilian life, they have these symptoms of breathlessness and they're not able to sleep and they've got high stress levels, et cetera, et cetera. And it was the physician, the Costa, who first recognized it. And he said that these soldiers have such a hard time going back to reality, civilization. Then in 1937, the phrase chronic hyperventilation syndrome was coined. Interesting. And the doctors at the time felt it wasn't their domain, so handed it to the psychiatrists. Psychiatrists felt it wasn't their domain, so handed it back to medical doctors. So no field of medicine mm. took responsibility for this field of breathing. So it wow. fell between the two stools. Now, one chest physician called um, Claude Lum, he was from Papward Hospital in Cambridge, he created a list of the symptoms of chronic hyperventilation. Now, I look at this list and I'm looking at tinnitus. I'm looking at different symptoms that we are seeing. And then sometimes I find on YouTube and this guy has been doing watching a YouTube and doing a different breathing technique. And he has tinnitus as a result of it. Well, that would be that also was a symptom of chronic. So I often wonder this then. If we do acute hyperventilation, but if we push the boundaries a little bit too far, can we bring on the same symptoms that might manifest with chronic hyperventilation? But the only difference is with acute hyperventilation, it happens quick. It's speeding it up. So there's a benefit to it, but there's a downside to it as well. Yeah, I did a video of uh, about this very topic called, do, I mean, does the Wim Hof method cause tinnitus or tinnitus? That's the way you, you pronounced it correctly. Yeah, we pronounced it differently. And absolutely, um, there are many, many cases of people doing this and, and having that experience. And the reason for it is because uh, every human has tinnitus to some degree, because tinnitus is what, what it actually is, is you get hearing loss as you get um, older and, and there, you know, you have this band of, of frequencies that you can hear and then certain frequencies drop out because of damage, because of life, because of, because of whatever. And then your brain says, Oh, look, we have this empty bandwidth of, of audio and I'm going to fill it in with my own soundtrack. And your brain's soundtrack is or, or whatever. And it, and it creates that soundtrack and it puts it in those missing pieces. And and everyone gets this. It's just a thing that happens. But it, it's only, it only becomes a problem when you care. Mm. 
when you look at it and you think, oh, this is a problem. When it, when, and, 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 and it responds also to your sympathetic activation. So the more sympathetically activated, the more adrenaline, you know, the more uh, revved up you get, the tinnitus gets louder. And in things like the Wim Hof method or other or holotropic breathing or other intensive breath work, what happens is those sensations get louder and then you attach your attention to it and it, it might not go away. And, and this is why whenever someone tells me they have tinnitus, I actually point them to you. I'm like, oh, you got to go do Boteco. <laughs> uh, I'm not an expert in Boteco, but you need this because it, it's the way to calm and, uh, your nervous system because the tinnitus is going to be there. The sound loss is going to be there, and your brain is always going to fill in that soundtrack. But that doesn't matter as long as you're able to handle it. And then you find that people who breathe slower, who get into like. this, uh, th that the tinnitus... They say it goes away. It didn't actually go away. They just got better at managing it. And then it, the, its volume went down and then everything was okay. It's mm, really interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a video that I have. Uh, Does the Wim Hof method cause tinnitus? And you can find it all of the, in all of the places. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so what I see it, I'm just really yeah. interesting in terms of, your perspective, you, you, you've been involved in this field for many years. Um, where do you see breathing is going? Because really, mm. I'd love to see this going. I'd love to see breathing getting into the mainstream in society. Mm. What are we doing right and what are we doing wrong? What might hold back progress, especially if we want the scientific community to take us yeah. seriously? And the, the problem with breathing is if somebody asks you what you do and you teach breathing, they put the breathing as breathing. There, there's a huge difference. It's like going to a gym. You've got one exercise, two exercises, three, four, five, mm -hmm. six. Like we currently work with 26 different breathing exercises, and that's probably only scratching the surface. And there could be hundreds sure. of them. Sure. So hundreds of breathing techniques. But in the, work, mm. in the mind of the general public, there's one breathing is breathing. But mm -hmm. this is why we have to really be looking after each other in terms of the breathing world and in the message that we are conveying to the people who don't understand breathing. Yeah. And probably the people who don't want to understand breathing, but we we still need to get it out there. Yeah, I mean, the question of where is it going? I'm a, generally a pessimist on things. I think that we're having a more <laughs> fractured society, and I think that it goes to the flashiest. I think that people like the flash, and we are our nervous systems are trained. You know, you find it on Instagram. You're scrolling through Instagram, and 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 the thing that gives you the best dopamine hit is the thing you spend your more time on, and this is like it's hijacked our attention. And so I think that it, where breathing is going in, it, writ large is where society is going. It's going to hell. Um, but people who are where is where will it last? Where is the where? You know, there will be scandals, right? There will be scandals where people. Um, uh, die or have heart attacks and that information will get out. And then what's going to happen is society will respond the opposite way and be like, breath work is the devil. Right. And, yeah. and those you guys are, are, you know, which the, the modern day equivalent of witches. And, and then we're going to throw out the baby with the bathwater. And this is what I've been mm -hmm. trying to do with my videos on Wim Hof. I think the method is great, but we have to save it from the man. We have to save it from the insanity that comes with it because the benefits are there. You can do this safely. I, but we, we have to, also be open to say, look, the, all of these tools can be useful for different people at different times. It's gonna, you're, it's not gonna be a one size fits all approach, and we need to play 
in this environment. Mm. And you need yeah. to take many classes. Like you should not just take Buteco breathing. You should. Oh yeah, totally. You should do it. And then you should also see so like, well, let's also try some pranayama and let's also try some cardio exercise and be attentive in those moments. And it's about having more range in mm. life. That is where you become a whole and, and better person. Do I think that most people will do this? I do not, because I think we are looking for the quick fix. And I think the quick fix tends to be uh, in the breath work world, hyperventilate, hold your breath, feel better because it's it's quick. Mm. Can't deny it's quick. But there's some people I feel that it's like going to a gym. There's some exercise that suit people more than others. And we tend to stick with the exercise that our body responds to favorably. Like we, we have different nervous systems, you know, um, and yeah. you, you were talking about in terms of bringing your information out to the forte. And what yeah. was that journey like? Oh, you mean most recently mm. <laughs> with, well, I mean, because I'm going to say for me, before we got on, you did seem a small bit frazzled and I thought you were going to say, okay, we're not going to have the conversation. So no, 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 I am frazzled right now um, because, you know, I've, I'm a journalist. My goal is to tell the truth in the world. Like, and I am, I, I am a, a decent breath worker. I don't think I'm the best. I think I'm, competent. And I think I can, I have a lot of things to teach, but I'm by no means the best teacher. Uh, and, but what my goal is, is to watch these things and tell the truth about what's happening. And sometimes the truth is good. And sometimes the truth is bad. And it's always complex and nuanced. And, you know, I have done multiple videos on the Wim Hof method that have been um, slightly critical that then get attacked by the Wim Hof organization because they want to protect a an image of them as being the center of breath work or, you know, no bad things could ever happen to them, only these awesome things. And as a journalist, I don't like that because I don't want people to get hurt. And I'm following cases of people who have died, um, many cases of people who have died because of what I believe is very irresponsible teaching protocols by uh, the leaders of that organization. And... Um, most recently, like like 20 minutes before we, we no, no, it's sort of three hours before we got on um, all my videos on YouTube that I've been working on for no money for, I guess, six months now, almost almost six months now. Um, they're all taken down because the Hoffs have the ability to convince YouTube that I'm violating their privacy. And I'm getting, you know, YouTube's agreeing with them that showing a photo of Anum Hoff, a cartoon photo of Anum Hoff violates his privacy and therefore all of the reporting, all of the warnings about people dying have to be removed from the, from the internet. And it's, you know, maybe it's just a tactical thing and I'll blur something out and I'll repost it, but it's frankly exhausting to um, be doing that when I should be out reporting the truth. So that is why I'm currently frazzled. And, you know, I went into this being um, Wim Hof's number one proponent in the world, right? Like I am the guy, I wrote a New York Times bestseller. I wrote the first stories about him and I endorsed him as being a good guy and where things have gone really, really disappoint me and make me very, very sad, honestly. Mm, and it comes into our, our conversation that we had at the very, very start also about the evolution of breathing is also in terms of safety, which is really... Mm -hmm an integral part um, if we're going to get the message out in the wider, in a wider area. Yeah. So I don't know what to say, Scott, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, yeah. I admire your courage. 
Yeah, I got courage in spades. That's great. (laughs) It's because I breathe well, really. I just am a really good breather. So I had had the courage. Um, Yeah, you know, I what I what I I am. I don't actually mind being the the uh, at the forefront of this. My nervous system is very well attuned to dangerous and stressful situations, and in some ways, it's like, oh no, you're going to threaten me with a lawsuit, like. Okay. Like I used to work in war zones. I had people shooting at me. So it's like, okay, I can put this into some perspective because I actually know what fight or flight is like Uh, and uh, and fight or flight in the course of journalism. And this ain't it. I'm not psyched about it. It does not make me feel good, but I don't mind being at the front of this. But what I would what I do want is I want people to be like, don't just throw me out and be like, well, he tried it. And now we can't talk sense in the world either. Don't let Scott be the person who's talking sense to the world. Uh, because, you know, I'm not nearly as powerful as, as, as the Wim Hofs with their 8 million followers, right? I'm not, I don't, I don't have make, you know, whatever they make, like they have like 20, maybe 18 million. I don't know how much money they have in their bank account, but a lot. And, or the, 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 the general, group of people who have been benefited by these methods who then think that that people like Hoff are essentially their gurus and they owe them something really special. We don't owe anything to these leaders. We owe we owe things to ourselves and we and we have to hold our leaders to account. And what happens in the world right now is no one holds anybody accountable. It's like you get famous and and therefore you must be a good person. Like, and you're not famous, you must not be a good person. And that's sort of like where the world has been going for a long time. It's not unlike Calvinism, honestly. It's like, oh, the rich people are rich because they're they're favored by God. It's sort of similar to what's happening right now in the in this world. And I don't like it. And that's and I don't know. I don't even know how I got on this particular tangent, but uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you yeah. know, I I like the fact that Buteco folks, because you have been spreading this message for twenty uh, twenty three years, is that right? Something something yeah. along, you know, and you're not flashy, and Buteco's not flashy. No, we're and, very humble because we've met so much <laughs> resistance over the years. So so. <laughs> So we're appreciative now that the work is known and we're happy out, you know, the work is, yeah. we, the work is got out there. It's amazing. Yeah. We're, we, we are delighted and, and we are and, making and the, an impact. And the awesome thing, if you really want to be happy in the world, and this is like a, a like a, a, a side tangent on a side tangent, um, there, there's the idea, there's, you can be rich, right? You can go big, you can be flashy, or you can have enough. And the people mm. who have enough are happy. And I well, have totally. enough. Right. Yeah. I, I, I look around the world and like, oh, things are good. Like, you know, you know, the, the, in general, my life is awesome. Like you said, when we started this, you were like, I have two chickens. I have a number of cats. <laughs> I live in, in, in Galway. Is that where you live? Right. You yeah, know, you, you have a, a cottage like mm-hmm. and that to me is what I aspire to. Like mm-hmm. I, I, like that to me is like, look, I don't need a mansion. I don't need a yacht. I don't need to fly around and get like a, a crowd of people shouting my name. I just need to be. This is an interesting conversation because the definition of happiness is not often portrayed that way. But for me, happiness Mm -hmm. is absolute content. And happiness Mm -hmm. is when your mind, you feel that you're really in the right place, that you don't have to be seeking something. Of course, there's things we may feel that, yeah, that might be nice, but we're not driven towards it. It's, It's often not put out there in society. 
But I think breathing is one of those things about automatically brings a quietness to the mind that we get a better sense of our our place mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it, it, it calms you down. It's on that sympathetic path. It's on the parasympathetic, parasympathetic pathway. And the parasympathetic pathway is the, it's, it's rest and digest. It's, it's ruminating. It's looking around and, and observing. It's, it's the, the better part. You know, honestly, if you had to choose one, I don't want to be excited all the time. I want to be <laughs> aware. But it, then it the comes world. into the question in terms of breathing. If you're in that state of excitation and then you do hyperventilation, which is going to increase sympathetic drive, the thinking behind it that I understand it is that the hyperventilation is almost doing a reset. And is it then bringing the body into relaxation? Sometimes I don't quite figure it out. Mm. I often wonder why focus on the hyperventilation. If the person is already in an increased sympathetic drive, why not focus on activating the relaxation response? No. Well, I think when properly practiced, the Wim, uh, so when I'm talking about Wim Hof stuff, hyperventilation, it's contrasted with the breath hold. You don't do the hyperventilation without the breath hold because it's pointless and they actually are equal weights. But the, the, the important part of the breath hold is not the length of time. And that's what people get confused. They put on their stopwatch like, oh, it made three minutes because they go to the, it's it, it's the depth of the relaxation that's important. It's the contrast in sensations because if you hold your breath, at first you've hyperventilated, so you're at a high state, then you hold your breath, you, you should drop down into this amazing relaxed point. You should have this sine wave going yeah. up and down. So you're balancing out your nervous system. Even then it's there's a, it's a, a stressor, but it's, it's a, like for me, it's a double stressor. Um, if you if you hyperventilate, it's a stressor. If you do a long breath hold to lower your blood your blood oxygen saturation below eighty eight percent, it's a stressor. But mm. physiologically, the person who is doing it, it's it's going into relaxation. It's very relaxed. And then and then what people do when they, where they make the error is they hold and hold and hold until they're like. I have to pop. And that is a huge stressor. That's no fun. Like, and I don't do that. I'm like, okay, I made it a minute and and a half. I made it a minute. Okay, cool. And I don't even time. So I don't even know if those are what my times are. Mm. And so you listen to your body. I listen to the body and, 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 and I think that is one way that anxiety for me has really been controlled. If I do the, do these hyperventilation, these contrasting things in the morning, my days are always better than if I don't. I've noticed that it's just the way it is. And I, and I love it. And so I found the practice that works for me. Um, and if people have other practices, then God bless them. That's awesome. Like this is easy. I've gotten into my routine. I know what it is, but I will also say that um, when you, when you, earlier you mentioned that chemoreceptors, can change. And you do change your chemoreceptors when this happens. And I wrote about this in the wedge. And it was also actually, I was mentioned, although not by name in Nestor's book, Breath, uh, which is, I went to the lab, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, the, the lab in Oklahoma, uh, he does float tank research. And now his name is, for, just was on the tip of my tongue. Now it's off. Um, but I, but I went there and he did a CO2 tolerance test on me where they takes a mm. balloon of like, I think it's like 36% CO2, some high level and you inhale it. And then, you know, he wants to see how anxious you are. And people even with amygdala damage have panic attacks when this happens. It's just like the, mm. a natural response to CO2 where you panic. And 
Uh, and everyone that this doc, Feinstein, um, Justin Feinstein, everyone Justin Feinstein had studied uh, had panic responses. And then I did it and I just went, <sighs> and I was like, oh, cool. That's a nice feeling um, because I, I've trained myself in these stressful things that I've, 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 I told my chemo receptors that that is actually not so bad and it's fun. And, mm -hmm. and he saw me, you're supposed to take three inhalations of the co2 mixture over the course of a half an hour and then he like sort of assesses you and i and, and it usually takes people the full half an hour to do it because they have to calm themselves down and re you know refix themselves and for me i was like oh cool and i did it all in like five minutes he was like i've never seen that before i have no idea what's going on with you you you're, you apparently respond to co2 entirely different and uh and earlier you said that you're realigning your co2 um uh your chemoreceptors and maybe that's bad. And frankly, I don't even know if that's bad. Is it bad? Am I going to die? Yeah, Patrick, am I going to die? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's interesting because if you do hyperventilation, the only, the only paper I looked at in, a, in some detail was Cox's paper, hyperventilation and then a long breath hold. And during the hyperventilation, carbon dioxide drops quite significantly. And at the end of the long breath hold, the carbon dioxide didn't return back to baseline. So, then I'd be wondering, how is it reducing the chemo sensitivity? So basically, if you're able to tolerate, if you're able to breathe carbon dioxide into your lungs, that increased carbon dioxide is going to go from the lungs into the blood. So you're increasing CO2 in the blood. Blood pH is going to drop. The brain is reacting. And the question is, how, how strongly does the brain react to the accumulation of carbon dioxide? People with a history of trauma, panic disorder, anxiety have a really strong fear reaction and they would call it suffocation. Whereas you didn't, you had the opposite. So in some way, the breathing techniques that you have been doing have helped to reduce your chemo sensitivity or, or certainly the reaction to the feeling of suffocation. It's, it's really interesting. So yeah, it probably, it probably asks more questions than answers, but you know, I don't know. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I, I think that with all things in physiology, it's like, well, I can't, I can't tell you if that's bad or good, but how are you feeling? And I'm like, I feel great. And I can obviously mm. take a fair amount of stress. Uh, well, and put it this way, Scott, you're much better with a reduced chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide than with a strong chemosensitivity to carbon dioxide. And, you know, it's, it's like, I'm looking at people today and they would get breathless walking across a room. They feel uncomfortable in their everyday breathing. They have no natural pause after exhalation. They feel air hunger all the time. That's, they are in a constant fight or flight response. So, yeah, so I think, and this is where the biochemical dimension of breathing has been overlooked for so many years in terms of hypoventilation. Which means under hypoventilation for people is under, un yeah, less air versus more air. You're right. Yeah, so in some ways, but it, like it comes back to that, you know, what do you want to do with breathing? Well, what do you want to get out of it? And mm -hmm. what's your makeup? How does it come into consideration? You know, so yeah, it's all good. Good conversation. Well, um, thank you so much for, you know, spending some time with me. And for those people who are listening, I have this Patreon, which is actually becoming more important than I thought because apparently I can't have a YouTube channel and talk honestly. So, uh, you know, there's my podcast, Scott Carney Investigates, which videos show up on YouTube. Um, the Patreon, you get sort of more involved with what I'm doing. I'm gonna, you're going to get more information about the status of things and maybe some input into stories as they come up. Uh, I'd love you to go check that out. Um, and 
It's all down there in the footnotes, the show notes, the, the notes in general. And um, Patrick McEwen, this has been such an awesome conversation. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I wish I'd met you first instead of Wim, and then we could have been like doing the potato thing for Playboy. And, and, and instead, of, instead of being shirtless on a mountain, I would have been like petting chickens in Ireland. That would have been great. I, you know, if you're on the West Coast guy. of Ireland looking out onto a beautiful view, see so what. <laughs> I mean, that sounds fantastic. So, uh, you know, people who are, you know, watching my uh, the videos, uh, he's got this book, The Breathing Cure, and it is a tome. It's a to It's like five million pages and it's 500 pages, which is it's very long, Patrick. It's very want, long. It's purposely that way, Scott. I wanted to show that breathing is something that should be taken seriously. And there's a good degree of scientific articles supporting it. You know, we're still in that left of field, and that's what I'm afraid of. You know, I want to get it out of the left of field as best as my little contribution can do and bring it to the people. You know, that ability to be able to self-regulate. I have another book coming out, by the way, in September. Um, well, it was supposed to come out in May, June, July, August, so hopefully now September. It's Breathing for Yoga. So this is looking at breathing in yoga, how it changed from since its evolution maybe 5,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago. James Nestor wrote the foreword. So, so yeah, so that should be out. And it's the same volume. It's about 500 pages too. So, And after this, no more. I'm done. Well, at least I'm saying that to myself for about three, five years, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, um, go check out his books. And, and Patrick, um, your website is The Oxygen Advantage. Is that right? What, what else, what, what other, where else can people find you? So there's two kind of arms to it. We have Buteco Clinic, which is the health um, so this is asthma, panic disorder, sleep issues. And then we have Oxygen Advantage, which is the performance, mental and physical performance. Um, we often found that healthy people weren't doing Buteco. Um, mm. So that's why I had to change the language. And I think the language can be very important in how we communicate to the people we want to get it out to. Well, fantastic. Go check those out, um, Patrick. Uh, it has been an honor. Thank you for listening to the Oxygen Advantage podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and maybe take the time to leave us a review. The Oxygen Advantage podcast is available from all your podcast providers.